you to take your Bibles, join us in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, the second book of the Bible, second chapter. As we continue our series entitled Jehovah Unveiled. God is revealing himself. He has revealed himself in chapter 1, as we've read together. Blessing the Israelites, causing them to grow to multiply even while under persecution. Pharaoh thinking, you know, if I just make life harder for them, maybe there won't be so many of them. That didn't work. At the same time, as God was causing the Israelites to grow, he was keeping his promise. He had promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 15 or so. He promised him, I'm going to make of you a great nation, so many people that you can't count them, you can't number them. Just as you can't count the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore, so will be your offspring. He told Abraham at the time he had no children. And Abraham believed God. God kept his promise, and we saw that in chapter 1. Our theme passage for the first half of Exodus is Exodus 6, 6, and 7. Would you say that along with me? Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. About halfway through that second verse. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. God's people will know that God is working for them. That God is the one making it happen. That's why God used all these supernatural events to convince Pharaoh to finally let them go. See, if God had caused the Israelites to just grow in number and become militarized and attacked, then they could take credit. But as we'll see, there's... No way that they got out of Egypt without God making it happen. God was going to prove himself to his people. God's people will know that God is working for them. It was true then. It is true today. If you are God's child, you should see God working in your life. Not necessarily in dramatic ways like we see in the Exodus, But undoubtedly, God's people will know God is working for them. Our text today is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to see God working intently to stop Pharaoh from killing God's chosen leader. In fact, he's going to stop Pharaoh from killing the line of Christ, as Jesus is a descendant of Moses. But let's read our text, Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. 
She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would indeed speak to us through this passage, that you would use your spirit to help us understand you even a bit more today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In today's passage, God is raising up a leader for his people. He doesn't tell us this, but I mean, we've read the book. If you haven't, go ahead and read it this week. It's an interesting, fascinating read. We know that God is raising up a leader for his people. But in this chapter, he's doing more than that. He's not just, uh, we're not just having recorded for us the, the beginnings of Moses. What we have recorded for us is God actually placing Moses in Pharaoh's own family. That's why our sermon title today is Initial Invasion. God is invading Pharaoh's household. If there was ever a way to trick an enemy, it's not through a Trojan horse full of soldiers. It's through an itty-bitty baby. And that's what God is doing, putting Moses into Pharaoh's household. What we'll see today is that God's plans always stand. No one can dissuade what God is going to do. So first of all, we see that God blesses Israel. In verses 1 and 2, this, the, the undertone of everything we've seen in Exodus so far is that God continues to bless his people. Pharaoh is working desperately hard to stop the Israelites' growth, and God keeps blessing. Pharaoh is desperate desperate to stop the Israelites and God supersedes him at every step verse 1 a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman the very first audience to read this passage would not have missed the significance of this verse and nor should we Moses wrote the book of Exodus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So by the time people are reading this, they already know Moses. They already know that he is the leader of Israel. They already know that his brother Aaron is the high priest. They already know that in order to be a priest, you must be, first of all, a Levite, and second of all, you must be of the line of Aaron, that the Levites are a set-apart group of people. They already know this. So when we come to verse 1, when it says that a Levite man took for himself a Levite woman as his wife, that's significant. 
There could be no one that would look at Moses and Aaron and say, you are not qualified for being priests. Now, Aaron is an actual priest. Moses does some priestly functions, uh, but Aaron himself is that first installed high priest. No one could look at them and say, nope, you're disqualified. No, because God knew what he was doing. This was no mistake that Moses and Aaron were children of Levite parents. The tribe of Levi, by the time the book of Exodus was finished being written, were set apart as the tribe of Israel to serve the tabernacle. God is exceedingly precise. Always. We're never that consistent, are we? But God is Precise. All the way back 300 plus years before Moses received the law that specified that the Levites would be in the service of the tabernacle and that they would not have a portion of land of their own, but they would uh, receive goods from the rest of the tribes in order to sustain them. Um, 300 years prior to the law laying all that out, God prophesied through their ancestor Jacob that Levi would not have land. This is back in Genesis 49, as Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, as Jacob was about to die, he pronounces blessings over his sons. Now, when we think of blessings, we think of only good things. Uh, Not all the blessings here are good things. They're more actually prophetic pronouncements. He is prophesying as to how his children will end up. And in verses 5 through 7 of Genesis 49... We see Jacob's uh, pronouncement over Levi and his brother Simeon. Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. And he, he mentions that because these are the two that went and killed all the men of a city in order to avenge their sister. If, if you don't remember that, uh, just look up Dinah, D-I-N-A-H, uh, in your concordance. Or Let's be honest, we're going to Google it. And you'll find out what happened in in that instance. Simeon and Levi avenged their sister by killing all the men of a city. Uh, And so their father calls them sons of violence. Verse 6, let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. And here's the key. End of verse 7 of Genesis 49, he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So instead of giving them a portion of land, both Levi and Simeon are going to be scattered among all of the nation of Israel rather than having their own, uh, their own place, their own land. And God fulfills this prophecy uh, of the tribe of Levi by having them be the servants of the temple. Now, it or the tabernacle and then the temple. It may seem a little odd that the violent one is the one who becomes uh, the the servants of God, Uh, but God actually uses that later as there is sin in the camp and it needs to be purged, and God says, people are going to continue to, to die. I'm going to destroy the entire nation unless you kill the individuals who are sinning and who are sent out. It's the Levites, Levites who are sent out uh, to slaughter those, uh, those sinful people and relieve the wrath of God in that instance. So God had a plan for the descendants of Levi. By the way, uh, if you're 
curious, Simeon does receive a portion of land, but over time, uh, because of their sinfulness, uh, they become less and less and fewer and fewer to where they get absorbed into another tribe. So uh, the prophecy of Genesis 49 does become fulfilled. Uh, so back to Exodus. Exodus 2, uh, in the first verse, talks about uh, the, the fact that both, uh, both his parents, both Moses' parents were Levites. Verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when he saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. What mother does not think their child is fine? Every baby is beautiful. All babies are cute. But there was something special about Moses and in, in the way the author is, uh, is writing this. He's, he's br- drawing that out, that it wasn't just that Moses was a cute baby. There was something special that mom knew about this baby. The man and woman are not named here, the, the, the parents of Moses, but later in, in Exodus chapter 6, in those genealogies that we love to read. Don't we love to read all those hard-to-pronounce names? In the genealogy, we learn that Moses' parents are Amram, the father, and Jochebed, his mother. In fact, the book of Hebrews commends them for their faith. You recall from Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. By faith, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. It's great to have that New Testament perspective on this incident that we're looking at in today's verse. Did you catch the actual actors of faith in Hebrews 11? It says, by faith Moses, it doesn't say by faith Moses acted, it does say that later, but in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden by his parents, who had faith, his parents had faith. They trusted God, and they weren't afraid of the king's edict. What was the edict? We looked at that last week, that all the Hebrew baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile, and, and Amram and Jochebed were like, no. I trust God more than I fear Pharaoh. So what we see in the next couple verses, I believe, is an intentional act of bravery. Verses 3 and 4, we see that Pharaoh's decree is actually obeyed, sort of. The decree was to throw the baby boys into the Nile, and what do they do? Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer because, hello, it's a baby. They're loud. You can't hide them indefinitely. She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and made it watertight, in essence, here. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the riverbank. And his sister, we're not given her name here either, but we learn later in the book of Exodus that his sister is uh, several years older. Perhaps she's a teenager at this time. Uh, His sister is Miriam, and she is uh, instructed to keep an eye on baby Moses, see what happens. So Jacobed took a little basket, waterproofed it. If you're reading in the King James or New King James, you might read that word ark instead of basket. That word is only found in the Hebrew here in Exodus and also speaking of Noah and the ark. And that word can mean ark, it can mean basket, it can mean casket. So that's a little dark. Uh, But all to say that the only places in Scripture that we see this particular Hebrew word 
have to do with God rescuing his people, taking an ark. And in both instances, back in Genesis, Noah had to seal the ark with bitumen and pitch, a tarry type of substance, to keep the water out. It's the same thing that Moses' parents do here for him. So what we see here is Moses' parents and their, their cunning, their wisdom. I mentioned earlier that I do believe this was an act of courage on their part. Um, a good half of commentators that I read, uh, who people much smarter than I, who have written about the book of Exodus, a good half of them say that, uh, that uh, Moses' parents uh, were being strategic in their actions and they give all sorts of biblical reasons for it. And the other half believe that Moses' parents were clueless and that they didn't know that Moses was going to be rescued. They didn't actually believe that Moses was going to be rescued. And they give all sorts of good, solid biblical evidence as well. So when people who are genuinely trying to be true to Scripture and they come to different conclusions, it's possible that we really don't know which way it is. But I tend to lean, and I think I made that evident already, that Moses' parents did know what they were doing. That they didn't just randomly choose a spot by the river. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were upstream from where Pharaoh's daughter would regularly come and bathe. They sent Miriam to go and follow him. I mean, what, even a teenage child, what, what parent would send their teenage child to go and watch the murder of their infant, son, infant brother? I mean, that's terrible. Surely they expected that God was going to protect Moses. But again, I can't be dogmatic on that because there's a lot of smart people that say, you know what, I think that they didn't really know what was going to happen. Regardless, that's where we stand. Uh, so uh, first of all, we see Moses' parents hang on to Moses as long as they can. Now, some children are louder than others at birth. I know this from experience. But regardless of how quiet and calm a little baby might be when they're first born, it doesn't last very long. Parents, does it last very long? It doesn't. It doesn't. So for them to be able to conceal Moses for three months took a, a good amount of strategy on their part. Um, as his lungs developed, surely he was going to be noticed. Uh, so we see the... Uh, uh, another aspect of Moses' parent strategy is they released him in the water just upstream where the princess of Egypt bathed, and they send Miriam to watch. Uh, and no doubt, I, I believe that Jacob had actually instructed Miriam, you know what, if, if Pharaoh's daughter does, does pick up the basket, you can offer, offer, let her, let her know that you know some, some Hebrew women that can help Something like something along those lines. I think that Moses' mother was very, very smart. First of all, I know that any good mother would do anything they could to protect, protect their child. And she had three months to develop this plan. Actually, she had a lot longer than that. She didn't necessarily know that she was going to have a son uh, before the child was born, but she knew that there was a good chance that she would because, yeah, 50-50, give or take. Uh, she knew the king's edict, so she had all this time to plan, and I think that's exactly what she did. So God is blessing the Israelites. He is preparing, he is 
preparing to give them a leader. And what we find is Pharaoh's decree is upturned. And there's no better person to upturn Pharaoh's decree than Pharaoh's own daughter. It's one thing to be a leader, to be a king of a nation, to be revered as a god, a little g, god as Pharaoh was. But then to have your daughter not go along with it, I could totally see him going, well, that's okay. You're my daughter. I'm going to let you do what you want. The daughter of Pharaoh found the basket and immediately, I mean, it doesn't word it this way, but this is how I would put it. Immediately, she falls in love with the baby. Like, aw. Didn't you hear that in the text? Didn't you hear the aw? I mean, it's not written, but clearly the sentiment is there, and that's one that transcends all cultures. All moms go, aw, to a little baby. Perhaps she heard the baby cry or just noticed the basket, but regardless, she recognizes that this is one of the Hebrew boys. As the daughter of Pharaoh, she could have honored her dad's wishes and immediately had the child put to death. She could have. Instead, she has this reaction that, that well, all decent people have in falling in love with this little baby. Scripture says that she had pity for the baby. And that's where Miriam steps in. Then Moses' sister, verse 7, Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. Well, you know what? Miriam knows exactly who to go to, doesn't she? So she gets her mom, and Pharaoh says, Take, Pharaoh's daughter says, Take this child, nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. What a hilarious turn of events. Not only does Jacobed get to raise her own son against the Pharaoh's decree, Pharaoh's coffers are paying her to do it. I love it. I love it. So let's rehearse the timeline. Pharaoh has commanded the midwives to kill the Hebrew boys at birth, and they don't do it. So Pharaoh commands all the people, a general widespread command to all people, that if there is a, a young Hebrew boy, you are to throw that child into the Nile. And you could justify it by because the Hebrews, not the Hebrews, the Egyptians worship the Nile, so this could be counted as an offering. You don't have to have a bad conscience about doing this horrible act. Just worship your God, the Nile, by taking these terrible Hebrew children and throwing them into the river. And now instead of being killed by the Nile, Moses is actually being rescued from the Nile by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. As such, Moses is now a protected citizen. Instead of having a death warrant for him, he is a protected child of Pharaoh's household. Jacobed is now also protected as being the, the one raising this son of Pharaoh's daughter. You know, when God sets a plan in motion, there's nothing man can do to stop it. Nothing. It was true in, uh, in the, the big picture events that are happening in the, the nation of Israel. It's true in your life as well. When God has a purpose for you and you buck against that purpose, 
you're not going to win. God will do what it takes to have his way in your heart. Now, knowing that ought to make you a little more sensitive when you recognize, oh, my heart is rebelling against what God has commanded, or, or, or oh, that is sin in my heart. That ought to be motivation to not continue going against God because God always wins. And it's for your good. It's not like God's plan for your life, that God's desire for you is to, uh, to do something that ultimately in the grand scheme of eternity is going to be uh, damning to you. No, he does what is good for you to make you more like his son. Pharaoh has set a plan in motion. Pharaoh has set a plan in motion to keep the Israelites from becoming an enemy to Egypt, from becoming a powerful enemy that could take them over. And yet there's nothing that he can do to stop God from thwarting Pharaoh's plan. God is sovereign, and he is good. I know it's been a while since we've looked in depth at the concept of providence, but remember that was our definition of providence, that God is sovereign, meaning he has both authority and capacity to do anything and everything that he wants. That's his sovereignty. And couple that with the fact that he is good. Everything that he does always is right and good. So his sovereignty joined together with his goodness, that's his providence. God is showing his providence to Jochebed, to Amram. He's showing his providence to Moses. And through that, he is showing his providence to the entire nation of Israel and ultimately to us. Because if God is not the God who keeps his word, he's not the God who's worthy of being trusted. If God would, were to have broken his promise to Abraham, then he would not be a God that's worth trusting. If God had not done what he did to keep Moses safe, Moses, one of the, the, the ancestors of David, one of the ancestors of Jesus, then he would be untrustable. But God is worthy of our faith and trust. He was providential to them. He shows his providence to us as well. So in verse 10, the invasion starts. God has blessed Israel Pharaoh's decree has been obeyed, in a sense, by, by Moses' parents, by them placing him in the river, but yet Moses or Pharaoh's desire has actually been upturned. And finally, we see God placing his chosen leader for the nation of Israel inside Pharaoh's household. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him, so Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. The name Moses is a Hebrew word that means to draw out, but also sounds like an ancient Egyptian word that means son. So in calling him Moses, there was a, a dual meaning in there. In the Egyptian, it would mean son. In the Hebrew, it means to draw out of the water. So the name of Moses worked on a variety of levels here. Not only as a newborn drawn out of the water, but Moses' role 80 years later would be to draw out 
the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. This whole drama of Pharaoh commanding the death of all the Hebrew boys is, is a foreshadowing. It's a type of Jesus and his, the circumstances around his birth. Do you remember when the wise men came to Israel? When Herod, the king over the area, when Herod heard that these wise men, these, uh, these powerful, wealthy men, had come to honor this new king of the Jews, Herod responds, how? By ordering the death of all the little boys in the land of Israel. All boys, two years old and younger. And do you remember how Joseph and Mary protected Jesus? They were warned. They were warned. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says that Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed where? To Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. And, and the, the rest of the verse says this, uh, that this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So follow the, follow the train here. Uh, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 2, who is looking at the plight of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, how in order to escape Herod's wrath, they go to uh, they go to Egypt and then later move back to Nazareth. They move back to the land of Israel. And in doing so, the, the, the gospel writer Matthew is saying, this is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. The prophecy was shown by the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. It was fulfilled by Jesus coming out of Egypt. The whole exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt serves as a prophecy for Jesus Messiah. So Pharaoh attempts to kill all the baby boys of, of the Israelites in Egypt, but ends up having one protected in his own household. And this will come to play in the future. Moses will grow up understanding the Egyptian culture. He, Moses is about 40 by the time he leaves Egypt, becomes a shepherd in the wilderness. So he's in the Egyptian culture, in Pharaoh's household, uh, up in, well into adulthood. So he knows their culture, he knows their language, he knows the ins and outs of palace life. That's going to come in very handy later when he needs to confront Pharaoh face to face. Moses is being perfectly set up to do exactly what God has planned for him to do. Moses was set up perfectly to do what God had planned for him to do, and God does the same for us. He sets us up perfectly to do exactly what he wants us to do. God knows exactly what he is doing in your life. Are you suffering right now? God knows exactly how he plans to relieve that suffering. God knows exactly how he wants you to trust him in that suffering. What about the opposite? Is life going grand? Is everything just peachy right now for you? God's going to use that too. He uses your health and strength and all your various capacities to fulfill his plan in your life as part of his body here on earth. God has set you up perfectly to do exactly what he wants you to do. His plan will come to pass. Now, 
he lets us push back from time to time. He perhaps postpones his plan because of our rebellion. The reality is, is God is going to do in your life what he wants to do. So the question is, will you let him? Will you, by faith, follow his word, thereby following his will for your life? Let's pray. Lord, it's often difficult for us to let go of our own direction, our own desires, our own preconceived notions of what's right for us because your word oftentimes tells us what's right and that conflicts with what we think is right. Lord, help us to surrender to your word. Thank you for the example of Amram and Jacobed who knew what the law of the land was but also knew the character of God that it was wrong to kill their child and so they worked as hard and wisely as they could in order to obey your law despite Pharaoh's. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts, our own lives, our own situations through the lens of your word and help us to be obedient to what we read in your word, that we would love you more, that we would love obeying you even when it it conflicts with perhaps the way we've always done things or the way we've always thought of things lord help us to surrender to you and to obey your word to live out your character father thank you for this passage and how it impacts us help us to live it out throughout this week and beyond in jesus name